Hey, my girlfriend is dead, you know. She fell off a cliff and died on impact. This is episode three of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And this week, we watched Happy Gilmore. Today, we watched Happy Gilmore. This, Yeah. Well, actually, it was yesterday. Our recordings got deleted, and we're re-recording this. I'm on the struggle bus with that one. Yeah, uh, I actually, I really, really enjoyed Happy Gilmore. It's definitely my favorite one that we've watched so far. It's two out of three for Sandler right now. Three out of four. Three out of four, yes. Why, how am I forgetting a movie already? <laughs> we watched Going Overboard. We watched Airheads. Airheads. We watched Billy Madison. And now we're on Happy Gilmore. Airheads is definitely becoming more and more the least important film in this. Well, why don't you explain the sand layer system before we continue? Yeah, the, the sand layer is basically my way of deciding from one to three stars, three being the most, how important these films are to the overarching career of Adam Sandler and probably how much these mean in his career. Uh, and this one's a three star because it's half of the name of his production company. He seems to have written the movie, and he was the main actor. Yeah, and I definitely see where a lot of the themes that he's covered in previously in his career, but also in the future for his career, are handled. And also we see him really, I think, at the top of his game, his acting game here, and his writing game too. Yeah, it shows he's carrying this film for sure, and he doesn't do any of the infantile gibberish stuff so many people think of him as like you know that one note i make gibberish noises comedian yeah this film is more of the i'm angry adam sandler instead yeah i i think the angry period's going to one of one of his art pieces when i go back and look at all of this we said before i feel this is all deja vu for us mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember what we covered and <laughs> like do it naturally but it's gonna be a little weird because i'm thinking like Oh, we already talked about this. Skip ahead. Quickly recap the movie, because I'm sure 99% of the people listening to this have to have seen this one, right? Before we do that, I want to know how many times you laughed during this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, This was an 18 laugh film. So less than Billy Madison, but more than the other movies. Yes. Overall, I think it's a more enjoyable film than uh, all the others. I agree. But the, the comedy from this is less absurdist humor which is what really makes me laugh more it's a more humorous situation i guess it's set up to be a more engaging movie well in billy madison they did have that three act plot and there's definitely a three act plot here in happy gilmore there wasn't a constant stream of funny jokes going on in the background like in like in billy madison but there was an element of that. Like there were the happy place dream sequences that happened. And I think the stuff with the alligator and Chubbs' hand, those are all, the, the fist fight with Bob Barker, those are all similar elements at least. Although from, from what I saw after we talked about last one was that like that fist fight ended up being a uh, extended scene while they were filming. They didn't like have that written in. It was supposed to be him punching Bob Barker and then an instant cut. But Bob Barker said he knew how to fight. So they did a full scene for it instead. I love that. It's such a funny scene. Mm-hmm. So let's recap the film. Um, and I'm going to go pretty quickly through this because we do have a lot to talk about with a film. We're going to talk a lot about the classism elements, this separation between the upper class and the working class. So I'm like I said, I'm just going to kind of speed through this recap. Yeah, because if you couldn't tell, that's what this film is entirely about. Yes, <laughs> extremely. 
So Happy Gilmore has always wanted to be a hockey player. We see this at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Happy Gilmore is played by Adam Sandler, of course. And he learned from his dad how to play hockey. And his dad, before the movie, he dies at a hockey game, um, hit by a puck, hit by a really, I guess, a really powerful slap shot. Something that... It's not really addressed, but I feel like he inherits the powerful slap shot, even though it's what killed his father, which is, I don't know, I think there's symbolism there. And I remember there's definitely symbolism. I ranted about that last time, but it never really got anywhere. So I probably won't talk about it too much this time, but I'm still thinking about it. (laughs) Well, uh, Happy has worked a lot of blue collar jobs throughout his life, uh, but he keeps trying out for a hockey team. But he really sucks at it. He is not a strong skater. Really, the only thing he has going for him is that he has a very powerful slap shot. Mm-hmm. He also has a short fuse. He's he's a fighter. He's a he's you know a, he's a hockey player. He likes to fight. So at the beginning of the movie, we see his girlfriend leaving him. She calls him a loser because he's not doing anything with his life. He he's not a good hockey player. You know, he's just in a bunch of dead end jobs. So she leaves him. Now that means really the only person in his life is his grandma who raised him after his dad died. Hmm. And we learn that little grandma hasn't paid her taxes in over a decade. And they have 90 days to come up with $270,000 or the IRS is going to take her house and all of the possessions inside of the house. So while they're moving the stuff out of the house, a couple of movers are out in the front yard practicing their drive with Happy's grandpa's golf clubs. Happy really wants them to to get going because he wants to get back and watch the hockey game. So they make a bet with him to see if he can hit the ball harder than they can, farther than they can. So he takes that bet and he ends up driving the golf ball all the way down the street, 400 yards. And this is very impressive. Yeah. What did you say last time? Like the record was like 500 yards or something? Apparently the record is like 550 yards. But when you play Tiger Woods on the GameCube, Anything over 350 is impossible. So if video game logic with my mega boost ball, I can only hit it 350, the amount he's hitting it is supposed to be a unattainable physical ability. And it's pretty accurate too. Yeah, he also it's... always hits it like perfectly straight, which yeah. I've been at a driving range. That's pretty impossible. I don't know how he does that. <laughs> so he learns because he makes some money off of this original bet. He realizes he can get a good grift going, basically. So he goes to a driving range and, and bets a bunch of the people there that he can, you know, drive the golf, that he can drive, <laughs> I guess, farther than them. It's so, I don't like golf terms. Yeah, uh... I'm, I don't want this to be lost in uh, the aether. I almost convinced Jess last time that's called a golf stick and not a golf club. So I couldn't remember uh, what they were called. If only we had that original recording with the golf stick. Oh, <laughs> I'm so mad about that recording being gone. Anyway, at the driving range, a golf coach named Chubbs sees him. Uh, Chubbs is played by Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. And Chubbs approaches him. And says, you could be great. Like, that's an amazing drive you have. You should go to the Waterbury Open. Because if you win the Waterbury Open, you get to go on the Pro Tour. So he does because he realizes he can make some money doing this happy. And he needs this money for his grandma. So they go to the Waterbury Open. And he actually ends up winning this because of his, you know, his amazing drive. But he sucks. His putting game sucks. Yeah. The actual, I don't know, strategy of golf is beyond him. He just has the the physical ability to, like, outplay. Yeah, and there's a scene here, which we'll talk about later, too, but he also doesn't understand the etiquette of being at a country club mm-hmm. and 
being on a golf course. He doesn't understand any of it, and he has to have Chubbs help him and also his caddy help him. Yeah, and it, sh- it shows also he's uncomfortable having someone, like, help him out. He carries his golf clubs and just asks the caddy to be his liaison instead of doing his actual job. Mm-hmm. During this this scene, we also are introduced to Shooter McGavin, who is the professional on this tour. Um, he's He's, you know, your typical antagonist rich guy antagonist and we also meet virginia bennett who is the pr director for the tour yeah and shooter mcgavin treats her like a secretary basically makes her go get him a drink yeah diet pepsi (laughs) yeah the most evil drink so because he wins the tournament happy is invited to the invitational in portland and chubbs tells him that he should wait and practice and get better at his putting game but Happy needs the money now for his grandma, so he doesn't bring Chubbs with him to the Invitational in Portland. He goes on his own. Because he's a hothead, during this tournament, he he's swearing and throwing his clubs and, like, threatening to beat up people. And, and does beat up a few people. <laughs> and he's told by Virginia and the tournament, like, the tour manager the king that of golf. he needs to... That's the, the, the what? The king of golf. He's just the king of golf. The man who makes the golf yes. rules. Sure. The golf king. Mm-hmm. He's told that he has to calm down or he'll be kicked off the tour. And obviously that would be the end of his money-making venture. Yeah, which they only let him stay on it because Virginia Bennett points out that he is making ratings go up and that they have a big opportunity to make money off a working class hero. She says, golf has been waiting for a player like this, a colorful, emotional, working class hero. So he's getting all this attention because he is a hothead and because he doesn't fit in. He loses every tournament on the tour, but that's okay because he's still making money and that's what he needs. He doesn't really care if he wins. Yeah, even the last place makes $2,400 for a day's work, basically. A lot of working class folk come to see him and it draws these massive crowds and it's not the kind of crowd that you would see at a golf tournament usually they are rowdy they're like a nascar crowd basically Mm -hmm. they're a hockey crowd yeah and this makes shooter mcgavin really mad because he has to deal with all these people making noise while he's trying to drive and in the meantime happy likes all that noise um and also happy's getting a lot of attention and shooter feels like that attention should be on him instead so Shooter hires a heckler to mess with Happy. And uh, the heckler calls him a jackass and like gets him all upset and makes it so that he can't focus and drive. So he's like his his golf ball is going all over the place. Mm-hmm. During this tournament, he's playing in, I guess, like a partner's game with Bob Barker. They're all paired up with celebrities. And instead of fighting the heckler he ends up fist fighting bob barker (laughs) in this wonderfully really funny scene Mm -hmm. um, where bob barker kicks his ass and because of this happy is kicked off the tour for a month which is awful because he needs to get this money for his grandma and he says this to the tour manager in front of shooter mcgavin which comes to bite him in the ass before but it's okay because he does make money doing promotional videos for subway instead so he gets all the money that he needs but when they go to get the house they find out the irs is actually doing an auction of it and shooter mcgavin of course because he knows that this is what happy wants buys the house and shooter tells him that you know what i'll give you the house if you leave the tour and happy almost takes this 
but Virginia, who is his girlfriend now, after a very adorable date, convinces him not to, and he makes a bet with Shooter to say that if he wins the tour, then he will get the house back. And Shooter takes him up on that because there hasn't been a single tournament that Happy has won. Or that he placed higher than Shooter. Right. Shooter's just a better golfer. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is, he doesn't know how to putt, so who does he go to? He goes to Chubbs. And Chubbs teaches him how to find his happy place, which allows him to concentrate and actually putt that that rest of the game that he needed to focus on. And it works. It works really well. There's a scene, too, that comes up after this where Chubbs dies <laughs> in a pretty, <laughs> pretty funny way. Yeah. I'm going di- to digress here a little bit. Yeah. That Chubbs is missing a hand because it was bit off by an alligator. Which is why he's not a professional anymore. Which is why he's not a professional, but he took the alligator's eye. Well, in a previous tournament, Happy saw that alligator and killed it. So Chubbs, after he teaches Happy how to putt, gives him a putter that is a hockey stick, basically. Mm -hmm. And Happy gives Chubbs the head of the alligator, but then when he opens the box, it scares Chubbs and he falls out a window. It's just really funny and sudden. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's the day before the tournament. Happy really wants to beat Shooter. He's still able to find his happy place. He does really well um, on the tour after that. And this, again, uh, pisses Shooter off. So he calls up the heckler again. And in the final tournament, the heckler drives on the green in a Volkswagen and hits Happy with the car. He loses his long game and becomes a normal golfer. Yes. So now he and Shooter for the first time are on equal footing. Now Shooter is able to get underneath Happy's skin and actually invades his dream happy place. But luckily his grandma shows up and tells him that she just wants him to be happy, just to be himself. This helps him get back in the game again and it looks like he's going to win. But when the Volkswagen had driven up on the green, it hit this media scaffold where the cameras would be overlooking the game. And when some people climb up on it to get a better view, the whole thing collapses and it falls in front of the final hole. And Happy is told that if he makes the hole in two more swings, they'll just go to sudden death and he can beat him. And he can beat Shooter there. But he takes a look around, sees that it's just like a mini golf course, which is where Chubbs taught him how to putt. And he makes it. He makes it in just the one swing. So he ends up winning the whole tour. He gets the golden jacket. The scene ends with Shooter running away with the gold jacket and he's chased down by this crowd who beats him up. And uh, in the end, they get the house back. And who is he smiling up and waving at at the end? Abraham Lincoln, Chubbs, and the alligator. <laughs> so, and that's that's the end of the movie. It's it's really cute. And on its on the surface, it's an underdog movie, kind of like Dodgeball. I mean, it's basically the movie mm-hmm. Dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, including the fact that Ben Stiller is in both of them as an evil man with a scary mustache. I figured we were going to mention all the bits that were, uh, you know, about capitalism and class differences and such. Yeah, there there are, like we mentioned up at the top, elements of the class struggle. This movie is like two steps away from being just completely anti-capitalist. Yeah, there's a lot of winks and nods at some anti-capitalist stuff and the evils of capitalism, but the class struggle is a lot more... I think what they're harping on. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that Adam Sandler is out there waving a communist flag or anything. Yeah, no, I, I was, 
I wasn't saying that. I don't think it would come as a surprise to anybody listening that hockey is a sport that is widely attended by working class people, Mm. whereas golf is seen as much more of an upper class game. And in fact, a lot of golf courses are super exclusive and you have to pay a steep membership fee. And there's still a lot of you know, discrimination, racial discrimination, and religious and ethnic discrimination, and sexism on golf courses, private golf courses and golf clubs. Yeah, one of the things I've actually always thought was funny is I've had several friends in my life mention the fact when I was like, I've never played golf when I I think I've done one scramble where I was a fill in and I went for free. I've, I've had friends who when I'm like, yeah, I've never played golf before. When would I have time to play golf? And they're like, Oh, I don't know. Just like, Every once in a while, like someone taught me or blah, 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 and really showing off the fact that they don't realize that they grew up kind of upper middle class. Whereas like I did play hockey in my youth, but it was like on a pond with like some sticks that were in someone's garage and not wearing skates and stuff. And it's it's very funny to me, though, to hear. I know someone listening to this is saying like it doesn't cost a lot of money to go golfing. If you just X, Y, Z, it's pretty cheap, but having to go through the xyz it does not make it cheap once as a kid my friend who was rich lived on a golf course and we used to go find balls and then sell them and i made more money that way than anything else in my youth up until that point it's extremely easy from like a poor point of view to be like man there's just so much money there also like going on a professional tour there are not working class people on those tours and in fact you look at a golf tournament they are mostly white men, rich white men. Hockey is also, you go to a hockey game, it's pretty rowdy. Hmm. I've never been to a hockey game where there hasn't been a fight, and I've been to you know high school hockey games. Yeah, actually something I wanted to mention, because there's a lot of violence in this movie, is that fights in hockey and violence around hockey is seen as the norm, and it's not like a bad thing. Uh, you don't get in trouble for fighting. You get a penalty in the game, five minutes, whatever. But no one's like, man, what a shitty dude. He got in a fight. They're like, yeah, sick. There's rules and like kind of a gentleman's agreement of how far a fight will go. There are dirty hits and pieces of shit in hockey. But, you know, that's just Bruins fans. (laughs) And by the way, Happy does wear a Bruins hat and hockey shirt as i said last time pretty much the entire time and his uh his favorite hockey player is someone who famously went into the stands to fight a fan i should also mention too that happy's claim to fame is that he's the only person who ever took out his skate and tried to stab someone with it someone on imbd's like goof pages wrote that that was a goof in the movie because that would not be okay in any level of the sport Oh my I'm gosh. like, yeah, of course it wouldn't be. That's not a mistake with the movie. It was showing he was being crazy. You know what you're getting into with a hockey game. Mm. But we see with Shooter, there is no such gentleman's agreement. Even though you might see, like, if you looked at Happy versus Shooter, you might say that Shooter is supposed to be the gentleman. There is no such gentleman's agreement. He plays dirty multiple times throughout the movie. He he patronizes, talks down to sh- to Happy. He tries to get him kicked off the tour multiple times. He hires a heckler to get him kicked off. He buys the house out from under Happy. Happy's grandfather built that house with his own two hands, they say repeatedly. Yes, and it's a very important house for for Happy. I mean, it's where he grew up after his dad died. 
one of one of the aspects of that too is uh so his mom left when he was young and then his dad dies and he still goes I had a happy childhood and then doesn't complain about it. And he just shows how much he likes his grandma, which is something that I think you see a lot is the downplay of kind of having a shitty childhood as someone who is from a poor background. It's a really common thing. And I think we're supposed to kind of get that from it. It's pretty clear that he has some trauma from that because he says it's because of his dad that he has a short fuse. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted to come back to the point I was trying to make. Happy has these expectations of what, the, of what the rules are supposed to be for getting his grandma's house back. It's supposed to be he has 90 days to make $270,000 and he'll get the house back. But as soon as he meets that benchmark, he finds out that the rules can change, of course, in a way that hurts him. And I think that that plays into this idea of the class struggle. This is something that happens to working class people a lot. They work really hard in the way that they are. they think that they're supposed to work. But when they reach a certain level, they find out that the rules are not designed for them. They're designed for the upper class. They're designed for the rich to get the most out of it. And they're designed to keep the working class where they are instead. I think that the house there is symbolic of that American dream and how it is. It's unattainable in, in a way. Mm-hmm. When you play by the rules of the upper class setup, you have to do it your own way. Yeah, and one of the things that they show is uh, when they lose the house, Sandler's grandmother is sent to a nursing home where an evil Ben Stiller is shown to be running a basically sweatshop of making quilts, um, treating and abusing the elderly. And when one old woman complains, he puts her on landscape duty and like hard labor basically. And I think that's a, another point for there is because of what the rich people did and the banks did to her, she's forced to work in her old age basically against her will in order to survive. Yeah, again, something that happens to working class people all the time. I think it's interesting to note that the people who are on Happy's side are his grandma, so an old person, Virginia, a woman, and Chubbs, who is a black man and also someone who is disabled because he's missing a hand. And plus all the other working class people in the crowd are on his we side. We forgot to mention the most important character in the movie, which is his caddy he finds, who is a homeless man who was just trying to make money watching the windows of his car, played by Alan Covert, of course. So yes, he also has a homeless person on his side. Mm-hmm. And that really shows you this coalition. And again, this is why this movie is such a good parallel for the class struggle. Mm-hmm. This is These are the... They're not all the proletariat because... I think Virginia represents more like a, she's a white, like rich woman. Mm-hmm. She's on that side, but she's still vis-a-vis Shooter McGavin. She's still shown to be less privileged. I mean, Shooter McGavin exercises privilege over her in the first scene that we see them together in. I, I actually think we could even go ahead and say uh, that she might represent classic liberalism. In a yes. way, um, she is in charge of molding and changing Adam Sandler's character to be more sellable. And she works within the system that the rich people have as a PR person, trying to look out for Happy's best interests, but also getting a paycheck from that system. Working within the system. Yeah, to change it instead of working from outside the system to make it work for them. And within the system, it doesn't work again, is no. a point that I want to point out. Is within the system, Adam Sandler gets screwed still. 
Yes. And I, I do want to also make sure that we're making this clear. When we say classic liberalism, we're not talking about liberal conservative. We're not talking about that. That's not what that means. Liberalism here meaning somebody who, you know, believes in free market capitalism, basically. Yeah. And I think that it's worth noting here that while Virginia is trying to get him to work within this system and trying to change him, Chubbs, on the other hand, while he is trying to get him to work within the system too, he's trying to show how how Happy can use the system to his advantage instead of the system using Happy to its advantage. And he even gives him this hockey pu- uh, hockey stick putter, showing him like, you use what you already have to work this system. You can use your own talents and strengths to do this. And there's a scene we see Shooter McGavin try to learn what Happy is doing. He's in the woods. He's embarrassed. He's looking around because he doesn't want to see anyone hit anyone to see him doing this. But he's trying to hit the ball really hard, and he just can't do it. Yeah. So um, it, I, I guess if you haven't seen it, Happy runs up and does a slap shot instead of stand still when he drives, and mm-hmm. it's not how you're supposed to do it, and it's something that no one else can replicate. Which I still think is a symbol for something, and I'm I'm just I can't get it. I I still think I think it represents literal drive. But so, do you think the drive of others killed his father? Though, like that's weird, right? I don't think that it. This is not <laughs> necessarily a very thoughtful movie. It's not necessarily a super sophisticated one. So all of our metaphors and symbols they might not fit one hundred percent. All I'm saying is here. Here's three facts that make me think that I'm missing something. And this is a a clue into how my mind works. First is, Happy's father is killed by a puck from a hard shot. Then, Happy wins the golf tournament due to his long shot, and the song, Oh, 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 it's magic, plays. Mm -hmm. And then he loses his ability to do the long shot, putting him on equal ground at the end of the movie. Something is there, man. I feel it. I want I want someone to tweet at me. Here's what it means. <laughs> I, I know it's very ironic for me to say this, but I think you're overthinking it. <laughs> um, oh, you get ready till next episode. I have such a big overthought. You're going to hate it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it literally does just represent drive. <laughs> the working class, um, people who grew up poor or working class, they develop a lot of coping mechanisms to get through the system creatively because if they aren't hardworking and if they aren't creative you know they become i mean there's no way to survive in that system so i think that that's kind of what that means you Mm -hmm. might also be able to use it to represent like overworking yourself but like i said it might not just be a one-to-one symbol i had originally thought it was supposed to be uh something along the lines of giving up your body for work and that's what happened to his Mm -hmm. dad they probably didn't think about it quite that hard i mean i can see a version of the script where happy he injures himself that that would be interesting i think that's yeah like if he injured himself and then that final hole was blocked when the heckler comes up and drives it like he's trying to hit adam sandler with it but he hits the tower instead like i can see that being a better rewrite Mm -hmm. i do want to talk about the car and i want to talk about the heckler a little bit so the heckler he likes shooter mcgavin he wants to be friends with him like really wants to ingratiate himself with shooter it's like idolizes him i do see this heckler as somebody who they think the person on their side is the upper class not realizing that 
he should really be working with the working class. So I think the heckler kind of represents this this middle class. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, what's happening right now is the amount of people who are just so happy that Elon Musk is doing shitty, shitty things to his workers and promoting mm-hmm. him when it's like, why aren't you trying to help the people he is like literally abusing right now? Exactly. And Shooter, as soon as he... Like he he even tells the heckler like after he after Happy punches Bob Berger like I don't need you anymore and pays him and leaves, but the heckler wants to go to Red Lobster and Sizzlers with him. These again restaurants that are seen as fancy nice restaurants by the working class. Later, when the heckler drives to hit to hit Happy, he's driving a Volkswagen, and they point out several times that it's a Volkswagen. They say, and in German, Volkswagen means the people's wagon. So I think, again, it's this idea that there are still people who they see the traditional American dream. They see the system as something as as long as I work hard and pull myself up by my own bootstraps and maybe be a bootlicker, I will be where they are someday. Mm. I'm just I am just a temporarily embarrassed millionaire. One thing I noticed, too, is uh, when Happy learns he's part of the pro circuit, he's instantly become part of kind of the upper class. They say if you win the tournament, you can get $216,000. If you lose, you make 2400 And he goes, oh, sweet. I make money either way. At this point, he can't not make money. And mm-hmm. he's excited about it because that's in his mind, he's not thinking like, oh, 2400 is not that much. It's a huge paycheck for any normal person. And he's psyched about it. And even Chubbs is like, calls him a true asshole for thinking about money over the fact that he can learn to play the game extremely well and be the greatest. But he's like, I don't care about being good. I don't care about golf. I'm a hockey player, he says multiple times. And he's specifically selling out the fact that he's he thinks of himself as a hockey player. He's selling out as a golfer to help his grandma. He wouldn't do it otherwise. Well, I'll just point out two other things. One of the announcers at one point just states what an economically diverse crowd, which is just kind of saying it right there. Also, mm-hmm. the people who win the tour in this movie get gold jackets which in the actual pga tour i think it's pga tour maybe it's another tour when you win you get a green jacket so maybe they change the color because licensing or you're not allowed to wear that green jacket but it's gold yeah they changed it to gold and they call it gold mm-hmm. so you know just a yeah another little symbol there and that is something that shooter really covets he really wants that and there's a line he says that he's been working hard for his entire life and now it's his turn and he's upset that happy is superseding him and this is the oh my gosh my privilege is being exposed and someone else is getting an advantage i deserve that that means my rights are getting taken away like i see that so much reflected yeah in that line in that same sense in the final scene shooter has to hit a ball off someone's foot and then he says happy has to hit his final shot through this giant mess of like metal because i did it you have to also not even the same thing yeah and you can see the parallels (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i was able to you know make this shot why can't you yeah there's there's just so much of this this class struggle this idea that the rich are privileged and out of touch and are really disdainful toward the working class either they're disdainful toward them or they see them as a way to make money and i think that that's a really interesting take mm-hmm especially coming off of the heels of Billy Madison, which kind of deals a little bit with class, but not 
deeply at all. This one really picks up on that theme mm-hmm. and runs with it the entire way. You also originally had a point about the John Denver guy. Yes. I wanted to say something about the actual language of moving between upper class and working class. We see this originally just right at the beginning at the first tournament at the Waterbury Open. I mentioned before that Happy does not understand the language and the culture of this golf lifestyle of of the upper classes. He's not dressed for the part. He asks his caddy to tell him, like, tell me if I'm doing something stupid. He needs to have things communicated to him in metaphors that he can understand, like with, with hockey. So when Kevin Nealon, right? Yes. Kevin Nealon's character, is he's just kind of this bit part. He kind of replaces Chubbs and the first Invitational in Portland. And whereas Chubbs was giving Happy a lot of hockey metaphors and analogies, Kevin Nealon's character... I don't know. He just makes these weird, bizarre analogies, like talking about a carousel and landing the plane. Yeah, I I called him a John Denver because he says, like, you've packed your bags, your jet's ready to take off, which is just reminds me of the John Denver song. Adam Sandler calls him a psycho and <laughs> under his breath. And then when when Adam Sandler freaks out after he doesn't hit the ball the first time, Kevin Nealon says the same thing. So it shows how these two worlds don't understand each other they, they just really don't and also shooter mcgavin throughout the entire movie only has rehearsed jokes he tells people mm-hmm. or idioms that make no sense and people make fun of him for it or specifically happy does uh he says i eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast he just accidentally rhymes yeah he's just out of touch he's not a cool guy yeah but i also think it so the metaphors work when they're grounded for happy other people are able to talk well but shooter who's at the top is unable to communicate and especially the things he's saying to other people fall flat and i think partially because his view of the world is incorrect and i think that kind of shows a bit of the class stuff there's actually a lot of language that's about people's point of view even Otto, the the homeless caddy says something like the ground's leading to the left and happy just says it's because you're not wearing a sh- or you're only wearing one shoe which is just a joke but also as you know maybe his point of view is a little skewed because of where he's at and i think it's really funny that a lot of people look at these movies as just dumb comedies but this movie i think actually has a message that at least leftists like me should really like and the billy madison in the last episode you you found that metaphor for addiction and i think that's that's pretty deep too so i think it's it's really interesting that Adam Sandler's movies here do have meaning. Mm-hmm. And I really did enjoy watching this movie just because it had a message that I, I do agree with. Do I think that you have to agree 100% with everything? No, but that's that's just entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually brings me to a point I wanted to make earlier that I want to come back to, which is a style of criticism I thought we could talk about for a bit. And I want mm-hmm. to call it Jack's door criticism. Do you remember in the Titanic when Jack is floating on the door? Yes. How many times have you heard there was obviously room for two people on that door? It's the only thing ever, anyone ever says. Yeah. And that's not the point of the scene is the thing. And a lot of people can't get past the fact that something happens for a reason within the story the fact that the story is a story and not an exact retelling of life it's the eagles going to mordor 
argument. And it's this kind of criticism that I'm seeing more and more of as if it's actual criticism of a movie. Like, I, I do get plot holes. I'm not saying plot holes don't exist. I think they're not actually that important most of the time. I, I, I'm, I'm noticing the things people say about Adam Sandler's movies being bad are these Jack Sore criticisms. Like, you know, uh, you can't actually take off your skate and stab someone. Like, that's, yeah, I know. It's showing off who Happy is, not not saying this is an integral part of the plot. Now, I also wanted to make a comparison to Adam Sandler's career here in this movie, mm-hmm. that there's a line where it's said that Happy has an advantage over anyone who walks out on the tee. Yes. And he just needs to develop the rest of his game. And I think that's really true for Adam Sandler's early career. He had a lot of talent. He had a lot of drive, but he did get lucky with his discovery. Can you remind me how he got discovered? Yeah, he was uh, doing stand-up, which he started at 17, and Dennis Miller saw him and recommended him to SNL. Then he learned the game, and then after he got fired, you know, made these movies. And there's a huge amount of talent in these comedy circles. I recommend listening to Amy Poehler's autobiography. I mean, I would listen to the audiobook. It's it's spectacular. Just talking about the amount of talent that she was around in Chicago and at SNL. There's so much of it. And that's a tiny percentage of people who make it in an industry. It's just like in sports, it's a tiny percentage of people. There are people who are super talented and just never get their big break. Mm-hmm. And I think you would also have to say that for people like Adam Sandler, he also had a big advantage. He is a white man too. Mm-hmm. And that's also true in this movie. He He's working class, yes, but he's also, he does have privilege as a white man. This is a really good role for him because it matches so much with his actual life. And he does admit in the movie, like some would call it luck, but I would you know, also call it luck, I think is his uh, exact words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that point, too, I just looked up uh, the 1993 to 1994 cast list for SNL as a point. There's one black woman, one black man, and two white women. Oh, three white women. And then uh, the rest are white males, which I think there's a dozen of. And that's been a common criticism of SNL throughout its entirety. I mean, that's true of uh, TV. Yeah, Uh, entertainment and comedy in general. I do kind of want to give Adam Sandler a little credit with some of the talent that he he works with. His movies in this era aren't the most diverse, I wouldn't say, or anything like that, Mm. but he has worked now with two female directors, which I think is better than most comedians in his, like, most of his peer group. Now, I could be wrong about that, but that's just, like, my assumption. Again, it's not not a lot. I'm not saying that Adam Sandler is, like, our our new woke (laughs) god, but (laughs) he's... And he has a lot of problematic elements of his movies, but I think that he is critical of not just what's going on inside of his films to a degree, but also with who he works with. Yeah, I think finally, the two things I want to mention, because I talked about it on our original recording, is at this point, both two of the female leads have had names that initials are VV. And I don't know why yet. And I'm going to try to figure that out. Um, Also, I do realize that Happy Gilmore is probably partially based on John Daly, the golfer. I just don't think it's that interesting to talk about. We don't care. Sports are mostly boring. And I resent my friends (laughs) for making me pay attention to them. Well, what's next on our agenda, Alex? Our next movie 
is Bulletproof. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, we actually have watched it now because (laughs) uh, we lost this recording. But Bulletproof is a 1996 movie. It is a one-star Sandlayer movie because it seems to just star Adam Sandler and has no other affiliation with him. Well, you can find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. You can also find our games at wannabegames.com, and we also have a Patreon, so if you'd like to support us and, you know, throw me some money for all of the hours that I wasted <laughs> on audio files that disappeared, um, you can go to patreon.com slash wannabegames. You'll get some bonus content there, early access, behind-the-scenes stuff. Plus, it would really help us out because, you know, this is, it's work. It is work. One of the things we're going to do is I've, I've taken at least one to two pages of notes during every movie of what I find interesting at the time. We're going to be like scanning those at some point, putting them up, probably putting up our show notes and a bunch of game related stuff because I think primarily we are still game developers. Well, you can also follow me at, at Joska on Twitter. And I'm at Kitty Crusade. Please take my wife. There we go.